chapter 3, we'll be starting at verse, I'll start reading at verse 18, and as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along, and there should be one in front of you underneath the seat, but if there isn't, if you'll raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Does anybody need a Bible? Very good people. Everybody brought their Bible today. Uh, Just a couple of quick things that one... uh, Well, actually, both of these were not in the bulletin. First, today is Kate Harrington's one-year birthday. Uh, The Harringtons are missionaries to Indonesia. Their baby was born a year ago. Josh and Amber have been here before. Yeah, that's a good thing. And then next week is the third Sunday of the month. The third Sunday of the month is Youth Day. It's the day that our youth serve in the various ministries. If you have not served before... Just leave your name and where you desire to serve at the information booth, and we will get you plugged in, but you need to be a youth, okay? No old people next Sunday. All right. Go ahead and stand for God's Word. Colossians chapter 3, I'll start reading at verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Father, once again, your word is very practical if it's nothing else, and it meets us, Father, where we are at. And Lord, how much more so this, this discipline of parenting. We've had the example from our parents, and not all of them were good examples. Very few of us have taken any kind of class, but Lord, we've been given this life by you to mold for your glory. And so, Father, I pray again, if we have any influence in any child's life, I pray that we would grasp on to these things. And Father, once again, that our mindset would be winning them to Christ. And so, Father, we just lift up your word, pray that it achieves its purpose in our lives today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. Time magazine reported in one survey that 70%, that's 70, 70% of parents, if they had to do it all over again, would have no children. Too much of a nuisance. Somewhere between 30,000 and 50,000 children a year are used for pornography. A third of all children born wind up in foster homes because they're unwanted. Millions are left at home alone to be raised by the television while both parents go to work. The chancellor of New York City's one million student school district said, society has turned against its children. Society has turned against its children because society has turned away from the Lord. Things are not going to change until the church changes. I was very happy with the election results this past Tuesday and I, it went my way, you know, the way that I, I believe things should go, but it's not going to change. It won't change unless we go out there and live God's word and preach God's word. Change comes from the church. A societal change comes from the church. So what I just read, that's what Time Magazine says that the world does. But what does the Bible say is the basis for biblical parenting? Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. If we were just going to have a 10-minute service this morning, this would be the verse. We're not going to, but this would have been the verse. It says, but did he not make them, he's talking about husband and wife, did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? He says, marriage, when the two became one, it wasn't just based upon a remnant. It wasn't just an afterthought of God. The two become one by the power of God, God who empowers the Holy Spirit. 
Did he not make them one having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. That's part of God's plan. He's brought us together for the purpose of the generations that we would train up our children in the way they should go in the Lord and we would see a society seeking after God as this progression occurs from family to family to family. There is only one effective way for producing godly children, and we see that at one of the foundational chapters of the Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 1, it says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of His statutes and His commandments which I commanded you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, or because of this, hear, O Israel, or listen, Calvary Chapel, Ontario, And be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. In other words, you need to teach them, and you need to live them. He didn't say just go to the temple and have a heart for God and then act like a heathen at home. Because God knows and God understands that children... What are children looking for? What are the youth looking for today? They're looking for genuineness. They're looking for people who are genuine. And how is religion, past religion, let us all down? Well, it's again, it's just been that Sunday morning Christian kind of a thing. Again, being very pious at church and acting like the world in every other aspect of our lives. But this is not what God desired. It's not what the Lord wanted. Yes, definitely to come to church, but to live these things throughout every aspect of their lives. So if a kid wants to see an example of a godly Christian, he can look to his parents. He can look to the aunt and uncle. He can look to his grandparents. As much as depends upon you, that you would be that example to that child. I remember my father told me when it came to smoking, he would break my neck if he ever caught me smoking. So he never caught me as he was puffing on his cigarette. And he said, do not do as I do, do as I say. That's flat out foolishness. Because your kids will do as you do. So in order to meet this end of Deuteronomy chapter 6, we've looked at the ministry of a wife to her husband, the ministry of a husband to his wife, and God's, now, we're going to look at it in two parts, God's purpose in parenting. Have you ever noticed when they're building a new overpass and sometimes when they're putting up a new high-rise, what they're doing is, you'll hear that right at the beginning, that big clang, clang, clang. That big clang is a pile driver. They do this to drive pillars. I think they may make them out of concrete now, but before they were basically telephone poles. Telephone poles that they were hammering deep into the ground. And the idea is they have this big machine, and this big weight hammering down to get down to bedrock. 
And so they're driving multiple poles down to this bedrock, sometimes even hundreds of feet, to produce an acceptable support for what is about to be built upon it. The foundation, the foundation is bedrock. That which is upon the foundation are pillars. The result, a strong foundation. Pillars, well, we looked at the pillar of what a wife is. We looked at a pillar of what a husband is. And now we're going to be looking at a pillar of what a parent is that we would be founded upon a strong foundation, that we would be driven to the rock. And as we're built upon the rock, then the building that is built, lives that are built, they will be strong. The wind won't blow them over, they won't rattle in an earthquake, and they'll stand strong for years to come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, According to the grace which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation... And another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, for the day will declare it, because he will re- uh, it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he shall receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet though it's through fire. So I've got to be rooted in the foundation that is Jesus Christ. There's going to be different pillars of my life. For me, it's husband. For me, it's father. For me, it's grandfather. For me, it's pastor. And we all have multiple pillars, but they all got to be driven down to that bedrock. And the rock is Christ. Because it's the only way that this life, your lives, are going to stand strong in these turbulent days. So in our Christian lives, one foundation, Jesus Christ. But again, many pillars. And so we've got this pillar of parenting. And what we're going to look at is standards that are applicable throughout the ages, no matter who you are, but giving you this basis for influence in the life of a child. Now, being as God does not change, go ahead and turn from Colossians over to Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. We'll be spending the majority of the next two weeks in Joshua 24. Before we get to the verse we're going to study, we're going to look at the key verse. And most of you will say, well, I know what the key verse here is. It's 24, 14 through 15, but it's not. The key verse, really key verses, they're the verses that precede that, verses 1 through 13. Because without verses 1 through 13, then verses 24 and 15 mean absolutely nothing. Verses 14 and 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, That means absolutely nothing. It's you making another empty promise to God. But what you'll see here is these promises mean everything that we made to God because they're going to be based upon what God has done. And so in Joshua chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And so all the representatives of all the people were standing before Joshua. The idea here is God is meeting with His people. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, 
your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him throughout, throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. Now, there's a series that I underlined here. In verse 4, the I gaves. Verse 5, I sent, I plagued. Then there's going to be a series of I brought, I destroyed, I gave, I would not listen, I delivered, I delivered, I sent, and I have given to you. Because again, these verses are all about what God has done. Again, a foundation so that the pillars will be verses 14 and 15. I'll read through it quickly. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterwards, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwell on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you, but I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zephor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered you in... I delivered them into your hands. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwelt in them, and you eat of the vineyards and the olive groves which you did not plant. Verse 14, now therefore, now based upon what God has done, And you can go back and you can look at all of those things that God said that He had done and equate them to your life. Because before you can have influence, before you can stand up and make a statement that is about to be made, first God has to work a change in your life. Your life needs to be altered. That's again why I never ask anybody, are you a Christian? Because everybody will say yes to that pretty much. Are you born again? Is there that day that your life was changed? And God is saying that I changed your life. Now, therefore, because of what I have done, God says, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. That's an amazing statement. God went in there, led him into the land, gave him victory after victory. This is the end of Joshua. They're inhabiting the land. God delivered them, and they saw how God delivered them from Egypt, and He saw how they were delivered or deposited into this new promised land, and they still have idols. You need to see if you still have idols in your life. Is there still idols in your household? 
Is there anything that has come between you and a right relationship with God? If there is, it will disqualify yourself from being used to God's glory. God will not bless that which is sold out to idolatry. Pastor Mike, what's an idol? You need to do the searching and God will tell you. Matter of fact, if you still have them, even as I'm saying this, they're probably coming into your mind. Well, we don't bow down and worship anything. Well, we kind of sort of do. It's that which gathers all of our time and all of our attention and detracts from that which is worthy of the Lord. And so again, this is an amazing statement, verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Goes back to what I said earlier, that it's got to be from your heart, your worship and service to the Lord. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day who you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, and the implication is they didn't get you here, or the gods of the Amorites, they didn't keep them, in whose land you dwell. Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it's all based upon what God has done. And so we come to the basis of what our text is going to be for the next couple of weeks. Now, this being the desire, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You need to note this because a lot of plaques have been made. People have it on their desk. People will put it on their doorpost, which is all fine if you're doing it. If you're doing it. Because I could have you all stand up and we can all shout together the anthem, we will serve the Lord and march around the church and everything else. But in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, it says, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. And so if I am going to shout that out, and I pray that you are able to, it's got to come from your heart. It's got to come from an intense desire of serving the Lord and also to stand up against the opposition that is sure to come. And a lot of times the opposition is going to start right from our own households. So in order for these to not just be more idle words, what we must do to make them real in our lives and the lives of our children is to number one. We're going to look at two points today. First one is, I've got to rise up. If I've determined to do all this based upon what God has done, I've got to make a declaration. I've got to go on record. I've got to speak these things out and make a vow before God. If your house isn't all that it should be, and I dare anybody to stand up here and tell me your house is all that it should be, I'm not going to even say that because there's always room for change. But you've got to go on record and speak in these things. And don't speak them to me. Get with your spouse. Get with your husband. Get with your wife. If you're alone, just get before the Lord. Get before the Lord and make this vow before God, declaring your intentions, stating despite opposition what you are prepared to do. Keeping in mind, Ecclesiastes 5.5, 5, it's better to not make a vow than make a vow and not keep it. There's great responsibility in this. That's why, again, I'm not going to have you all stand up and we make this vow before God, because you need to pray about it. You need to pray. It can't be a knee-jerk thing that you just do. You need to pray about it, and you need to come to the determination that I'm going to do the things that are necessary in my household so that we would be a household that serves the Lord. And so in Joshua, here we have the leader of a family standing before God and man and making a bold declaration. Notice what he didn't do. We're here, 
And so, well, we'll try this God thing for a while. There's a lot of people that try the God thing for a while. Most of them are gone, and the ones that are here that are just trying the God thing out, they'll be gone sooner or later. Notice Joshua didn't take a vote. He didn't even go and ask his wife. What he did is, he stood. He didn't care what everybody else wanted to do. He made the determination. He made the, and if you're a wife, you can make that determination as well, because God will honor that. But he made the determination that we're going to stand and serve the Lord. And so if you're the leader of the household, maybe there's no husband there, maybe there's no wife, whatever your situation is, you need to make it real to your unique situation. But you need to make the determination. As much as depends upon me, we are going to serve the Lord. There's only one type of person who can make a statement such as that. Somebody who is strong in the Lord. And you can say, well, that's all fine and dandy because Joshua is Joshua. Well, it wasn't always so with Joshua. See, if you look at Joshua chapter 1, go ahead and turn there. Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. What is Joshua told? First of all, he'd been told earlier, Moses, this is in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. And it doesn't say, but I know what Joshua's response was. Uh-oh, uh-oh. That which I depended upon is gone. You see, Joshua was a faithful servant of God, but the buck stopped at Moses' desk. Moses was the one who was responsible. And I would imagine, and I'll tell you why I think this, as soon as he heard, Moses, my servant, is dead, the responsibility is mine, it scared him to death. Why would I think that? Well, going down to verse 6, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Go over to verses 16 and 18. The people. So they answered Joshua saying, All that you commanded us we will do and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Now why do you tell somebody three times to be strong and courageous? Because they're scared to death. They're scared to death because now he's got responsibility for God's people. God's plan, he's feeling the weight of it upon his shoulders, although it does not completely depend upon him, but he's possessing the responsibility. If you look at your family, your area of responsibility, it should scare you. It should scare you. It should cause something deep inside of you to be of major concern. Because if you have kids, they're not your kids. Maybe you claim them, but ultimately, they're God's kids. And this should scare you, that you should stand before the Lord, and what am I going to do? And God would tell you, be strong and courageous, but do all that I command you. Do not turn to the left, do not turn to the right. That means, I think that means don't turn on CNN and don't turn on Fox News. <laughs> I say that jokingly, but I say it seriously. Walk the straight line of the Word of God. Because see, there's another interesting thing here. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from, 
do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper in whatever you do. Verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall med- meditate in it day and night. This is the first time a leader of Israel had the written word of God. He's got the manual. He's got the directions. And God's saying, be strong and courageous because here, through my servant Moses, I've given you the written word of God. We see at the end of Joshua that Joshua added Joshua to it. But we've got the written word of God. So now Joshua can take this to heart. He can boldly stand, not based upon who he is or what he's done, but based upon who God is and what God has done. And he can say that, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to move forward in what God has called us because I've seen what God is able to do. I know who God is. He's delivered us from Egypt. He's delivered us from the people in this land. Actually, he's eradicated the people in the land, and he's fulfilled his promise. And as he has been faithful up to that point, he's going to be faithful in my life. Joshua knows he's going to be faithful in our lives. Problem in society, even in the church, we've been filled with Dr. Phil. We've been Oprah-sized. We've been pilfered by pop psychology, even in the body of Christ. Pop psychology and not the word of God. And what it has led to is the sissification of family leadership. Because again, Joshua, he was the same. He was afraid. I'm responsible. But God says you can be bold if you follow my word. Not the good ideas of man, but the truths of God. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man Sounds like a really good idea, but in the end, it's the way of death. Now know that this is not a dominance, it's not an intimidation or a supremacy, but good, solid, biblical leadership, the things that God blesses. And so what we studied the last couple of weeks is that husbands should love their wives, wives should be submitted to the leadership and respect their husbands, And now Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, corresponds with what we're looking at in Colossians. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And so as a strong household leader, you must determine that in certain areas, there's no retreat, there's no surrender. You need to make that unique to your home, but it's got to be built upon the Word of God. If I'm going to make this declaration before God, I've got to make sure that I'm going to stand upon it. See, in my household, my wife got saved before I did because my wife just heard the word and it penetrated. But for me, i got to make sure, if I'm going to submit to this, if this is going to be part of my life, I want to know that it's right and I want to know that it's correct because I'm not going to dive into something. I'm not going to dive into the unknown. I want to know everything that I possibly can before I make my decision. And so how much more so when I'm leading a family that I make the decision, I make the vow before the Lord. Joshua says again in verse 15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because there's no other way to go. Because I've seen what these false gods were able to do to Egypt. Nothing. I see what these false gods were able to do to the people of the land. Nothing. Because here we are. Our God, He delivered us. And so... It does not matter what everyone else does. You make the determinations of your household. If certain music is unacceptable, it needs to always be unacceptable. When I found the CDs that my kids brought into the house, they would just disappear. I usually didn't even say anything. 
I remember my son said, what? I, you know, I had this one CD and I can't find it and I don't know if my sisters took it. And I said, no, I took it. You took it? Yeah. What would you do with it? I threw it away. Well, that was Bob's CD. Oh, well, it's not supposed to be in our house, is it? And I don't know what he did with, as far as him and Bob and all that, but that's not my responsibility. He knew the rules. And he knew that that particular type of music is unacceptable. It's always unacceptable. If certain TV shows are unacceptable, they're always unacceptable. If they're unacceptable to my children, they're unacceptable to me. And again, you need to, you know, don't just go home and say, okay, everything in the world's unacceptable in here. You need to make the determinations of what is right based upon the Word of God and what is proper. And when you make those determinations, you need to stick to it. And don't look at your kid and say, okay, well, this is what I'm imposing upon him. No, this is what you are willing to do. You're willing to be faithful in these areas. And because you're willing to be faithful in these areas, these kids need to be faithful in these areas. I remember my son, I was, saw this uh, mafia-based movie. I don't know the name of it. I probably wouldn't tell you anyway. It wasn't a movie. It was kind of some TV series thing. And I thought, ah, that'd be kind of interesting. It's kind of the Italian in me. That'd be kind of interesting. And my son, my son says, you shouldn't watch it. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, there's a lot of cussing in it and other stuff that's in it. Well, how do you know? It's like I'm the pastor and I'm Mr. Pure and you're not supposed to defile me, but you can defile yourself. I mean, I've heard it all. I've seen it all. I used to be in construction before I was saved. And so, you know, I've heard all the words. I've spoken most of the words. And again, there's all that. And I understand that's there. But again, it's about you. It's about you personally and making this declaration in your life. Because I guarantee you, if you're willing to make a declaration in your life, at some point your kids are going to make a declaration in their lives. And so again, you need to make certain that if these things are unacceptable, certain videos are unacceptable, they're unacceptable all the time. We went into this one movie years ago and we were watching, there was a lot of sexual innuendo in there. We got up and we walked out because we weren't going to compromise. If Sunday and Thursday are set apart for the Lord, be strong leader and make it a priority. Because if they see you waffling on those things, then they're going to waffle on those things. And whatever you waffle on, they're going to waffle even so much more. And don't be concerned with your children liking you again because they're not going to like you. They're going to hate your guts for a certain period of time in their lives. So you might as well make them a little bit more miserable because of it. <laughs> Keep in mind, you cannot, and I mean this very serious, you cannot make your child happy. You can't make a 16 through 20-year-old happy, but you can work towards their holiness. You can work towards their holiness. Notice in your own life as an example, God did things in your life that did not make you happy for the purpose of making you holy. Ought you not to work the same way in your child's life? Since it's had an effect upon your life, do the same thing in your child's life, and it will have an effect for the Lord in your child's life as well. See, as far as I'm concerned, when they get their own house... They don't have to go to church. They don't have to read their Bible. They don't have to serve God. But I bet you they will. I bet you they will. Because I've seen it come to pass. Now, I'm not saying you follow step one, two, and three, then you can have a family just like mine. Because you don't want a family just like mine. You want the family that God gave you. And wherever it is that they might be in their Christian lives, the most effective advice that I've ever been given in parenting is don't give up. Don't give up. I don't care how old your kid is. What I'm finding out, you know, I thought when they turned 18, they weren't going to be my kids anymore. I was going to turn them loose on the world. 
but it doesn't work that way. And so Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, my kids are always going to be my children, and they're never going to be older than me. So it just never stops. Notice again, under what condition would Israel follow Joshua if he was strong and courageous? Be strong and courageous in the Lord. If you've never been strong and courageous before, if you've been afraid to be strong and courageous before, do it. It works. It works. It works. Nobody wants nor will anybody follow a wimpy leader. As for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. Understand why this is such an important pillar. Your strength in the Lord is security in your children's life. This is strength in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is strength in your relationship with your spouse. This is strength in your biblical convictions. And this is strength in your ability to follow through in the rules that you have set down in the house. And even more important, in you following the rules that you have laid down. You need to make a proclamation. And just what did Joshua do in Joshua chapter 24? He got everybody together and it was a public proclamation. You need to get everybody together and make the proclamation and let people know what is acceptable and what is unacceptable in your home. And as we did that, my wife and I did it, and we've done it when we were children's ministers. These are what's expected of everybody, and if you violate that, this is what's going to happen because that's what God did in here. And so when they violated it, because they're going to violate it, they're going to test and they're going to push. He said, it's just like, okay, well, you did it, and this was the repercussion for it. Yeah, but, but that's not fair. Well, no, I told you. you I told you, if you did this, this is what's going to happen. And so you've got to make sure that that happens. And you minister as God ministers. You render judgment as God has rendered judgment to you, with being gracious and merciful, but not forsaking the consequences that must occur because we want change to occur. Our second pillar of parenting You must have an expectation. But as for me and my house, my expectation, we will serve the Lord. It's what I expect in my home. My wife and I, we have made the determination that if you're living in our house, you go to church. You don't only just go to church, you go to our church because there's accountability in that. But you make make the expectation known. So that everybody knows where they stand. Because God made his expectations known. He made them known to you and he gave you the book so that you would know what is desired of. Matter of fact, we're children are, are uh, in the children's ministry today. They're learning about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's influence in the church. When we did devotions, we looked at John chapter 16, speaking of the helper that was going to come, convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We looked at chapter 14 and how the Holy Spirit was going to bring the things of the Lord to remembrance. Why all that? Because they didn't have a Bible back in those days. They had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. It was being written or even yet to be written. And so God, God was ministering to them and ministering through them because they needed to know what God expected of them to get right with Jesus Christ, to forsake your old life and come into your new life, to repent of your sins and to understand that Jesus Christ died to save sinners of which who we are all chiefs. So maybe today your house is out of biblical order. Your child is out of God's will and your family maybe is even out of control because it can feel like that at certain times. The idea here is is perpetual expectation 
through faith in God that these things will become a reality. Because if they have become a reality in your life, as we said before in Joshua 24, it was all based upon what God has done. And so as far as our children, we're directing them and we're showing them the right way and we're setting the example, but at some point they're going to have to realize how all of this plays out. Because God gave thousands of years for man to try and achieve his own salvation, and he didn't, so that when grace came, he understood the value of grace. And your kids are going to have to learn that lesson as well. And how much more so if you're there and you set certain standards so when they do mess up, you're able to lead them in the ways of the Lord. You're able to show them God and God's good grace. My wife and I, as the kids were growing up, we were fairly legalistic with them. As they got older, we loosened the reins a little bit and gave them a little bit of free reign and, and in order them to, to experience the failure of their free wills. We didn't just unleash them to the world and say, go out and sin, but nonetheless, there's got to be that hands-off and allowing them to learn to walk their Christian life. And sometimes they're going to fall. And I didn't soften the fall, but we would be there in order to help them up and to see them move on. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so, perpetual expectation of faith in God of what He's going to do in the life of the children. And again, it never stops regardless of your age or regardless of their age. Keeping in mind the whole time the book of your family's history has yet to be completed. If you're here right now, and if you're at room temperature, and you're sucking air, the history, your family history, the book of your family history, has yet to be completed. If your children are alive, their history has yet to be completed. Don't give up. Don't retreat. Don't surrender. Because there was a day when Christ arrested your heart and the change was amazing. And there's going to be that day and you've got to look at it, faith in God, that He is going to arrest their heart as well. That He would convict them of their sins. That they would repent and turn from their sins and turn to the living God. And you would be blessed to to see that change occur in their life. Not just change, that miracle occur in their life. Don't give up. I did a men's uh, breakfast up in Calvary Chapel, Lake Arrowhead, a couple of years ago, and I don't remember what I was teaching on it, King David and his sons, and talking about children and parenting, fathering, really, and whatnot, and uh, one man raised his hand, he says, I'm 70 years old, and my child's in their 50s, and they're not walking with the Lord, and he goes, what do I do? And I told him, don't give What if the day of their salvation is 60 years old? What if the day of their salvation is the day after you die, but your influence in their life coming to fruition? And again, we just don't know when that is going to occur in a child's life. We want it to occur very early, but hey, it's better on the day of their death than not at all. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, now this is spoken to the church, but also individual, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ, without getting into the whole thing, is the day of the rapture, the end of the church age. 
for you whose family's life isn't going so well, it's not the day of Jesus Christ yet. The church has not been raptured. There's still opportunity. Keep in mind Noah. Noah was given this command to go and build an ark because it's going to rain. Keep in mind what an act of faith that is. He doesn't know what rain is. It's never rained before. I have a feeling Noah didn't have a clue what an ark was. But as all he did is he was to build this ark. Why? So that he, his wife, and his whole family would be saved from this great flood that was coming. So in obedience, he sat and he started building the ark. But guess what? He started building the ark 20 years before the birth of his sons. And if he waits until, you know what, I got sons now, maybe I should start building that ark. Then he misses the flood. He doesn't miss the flood, but he misses getting saved in the flood. Because the ark wasn't built, finished, and then waited 10 years or 20 years after that. And God wasn't going on his timetable, Noah's timetable. God was going on his timetable. And so Noah started this very early in his parenting life, even before the kids were born. And because Noah was faithful, the family was delivered. And so I've got to be faithful. If you're, if you're a high schooler here, you don't have kids, you need to be faithful. You need to be faithful. You need to recognize God and who God is and what God has done because more than likely everybody here, especially young people, you're going to reproduce at some point. And young married couple all the way through to however old you are, just as Moses was faithful, he was faithful and his children benefited from it. We need to be faithful and I guarantee you your children will benefit from it. By faith in God's word, knowing that they and their wives would enter into protection of the Lord, Noah built the ark. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27 says, Jesus speaking, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, because how many times have we heard the sayings? And we wonder, how come they're not working? Are you doing them? Are you doing what God is calling you to do? Are you being faithful to the Lord? Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall." commonality here most of you know because i pointed this out before but regardless if you're a believer or an unbeliever on your house the rains are going to descend the floods are going to come and the winds going to blow and they're going to beat upon your house that is a biblical reality all who desire to live godly in this present age will suffer persecution so it even gets a little bit worse than that but where is your house built upon house your life. Everybody's going to go through trials. Everybody's going to have hard times and difficult days. All of our parents is, are going to die one day. I'm just assuming that, you know, the Lord's not going to come back in our lifetime in this statement. But all of your parents are going to die. You'll probably outlive your parents. And it's going to be a hard time. And I pray that you do have a mournful heart without a, day, without a doubt. All of us there could even be harder things than that. Harder things. One of you is probably going to... My wife says we're going to die together in bed and we're going to wake up in the morning and be in heaven. Um, I don't know that she's much of a prophet or not. <laughs> Chances are, all of us, one day your spouse is going to die. 
we have people here even now that their children and even their grandchildren, they have outlived. And so the rains are going to come. The wind is going to blow, and it's going to flood, and it's going to beat against the house. But where is it rooted? Where is it grounded? If it's rooted and grounded in self-esteem or built upon who that person is within themselves, it's going to crash, and that fall is going to be very great. If it's rooted in the things of the world, this is all sifting sand, the world and the things of the world, when those things happen and they are coming, fall is going to be great. If it's built upon the rock, that rock and the various pillars of your life have been sunk down deep onto that bedrock, when those things happen, when those winds blow, when those floods come, when the rain starts pouring down, when the house gets beat upon, God will keep it. God will keep it, and it will be sure, and it will be strong. I speak from more experience than I have had in the past, but I've seen these things transpire in my life, not because I have been perfect in them, not because I've been completely faithful in them, but just simply I see God blesses man's efforts. As long as we base them upon what God has done, and we've based upon as much as we can, my wife and myself, based upon, well, our failures, our failures and what God has done in that. Who we used to be and who we are now and who we're going to be and who God is creating us, recreating us to be. Based upon God's grace and God's mercy. God is teaching me, don't be such a stinking legalist anymore. I mean, we can so easily have all of these rules and expect people to adhere to rules that we ourselves aren't willing to adhere to. Be open to what the Lord has and who the Lord is. And you see God do great things. And so whether a home stands or falls, it all depends upon its foundation. And it depends upon the pillars that are driven down to that foundation. And so because of that, Joshua, he drives deep, a pillar of declaration. As for me and my house, this is the decision that I've made. Joshua, your third son didn't really agree. It doesn't matter. He says, as for me and my house, he, he doesn't have a choice in the matter. Again, Joshua didn't go and take a family vote. He's made this decision. He's made the decision, as long as they live in my house, this is what they're going to do. And also, he stuck a pillar of expectation as well. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As I've said many times before, I have four kids, and they all have a drug problem. They had a bad drug problem. I drug them to church on Sunday, I drug them to church on Sunday night, and I drug them to church at the midweek. Drug them to church whenever we could. They didn't always want to go, but then I saw something. They developed this desire to go, this desire to fellowship, and it was a, it was a good thing. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Have that mindset for yourself and for your family. See what God will do. Father, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, especially in the last couple of weeks, your word is very pertinent to our lives, very applicable to Lord, the roles that you have given us as father, as husband, as wife, whatever it might be. And Father, I just pray that you would make this study applicable to the various families that are represented here. We're not all the same. Some of us are going through some pretty hard things and difficult times. And Lord, we know that you are God. We know, Lord, that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And because of that, Father, we thank you. I'm going to ask right now, if you just want prayer for your family, maybe there's something going on or whatever it might be, I just ask that you'd stand where you're at and just allow us just to pray over you.
just a situation or circumstance. This is just between you and the Lord, but we're just making this an opportunity for prayer. Let's pray. Father, I lift up those who have stood before you. And Father, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit for the purposes of their family, Lord, and for the purpose of rightly representing you. I pray, Father, that they would have that mindset to make that declaration and have an expectation, not based upon them, but based upon you and what you have done and what you're able to do. And so, Father, just bless them, just go before them, give them wisdom and give them insight. Father, enable them to digest the word of God and to apply it to their lives and the lives of their families, that, Father, we would see their core of their family strengthened through the power of your might. And so, Father, I pray that you would put off from us malice and anger and frustration and all of these things that we have acted on before. And, Lord, we would now act upon your holy word. And so, Lord, again, just bless them and go before them in their lives. Enable them, Father, in the midst of the rain, in the midst of the floods, in the midst of the winds, in the midst of their houses being beat upon, because, Father, they would have that confidence that they are built upon the foundation of you, Lord, and your word. And so, Father, again, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, for all that you do. Father, I pray through obedience in your word that you would show us the great things that you still desire to do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to be suspending night of praise and worship for a while just to do something different. And we usually do communion on night and praise and worship. And so tonight is the second Sunday of the month where we usually have done night of praise and worship. So I decided to have communion. We'll be doing communion on Sunday mornings for a while, the second Sunday of the month. That's the plan right now. And as this is the second Sunday of the month, we're going to be celebrating communion. I remember hearing it when George Bush was president. I think it was in relationship to John Ashcroft. Ashcroft, I think, was the attorney general, wasn't he? Secretary of State, one of those. And um, he was a dedicated Christian. And I heard people say, well, as long as his religious beliefs do not influence his decisions, that will be okay. And I remember thinking, what a foolish statement that is. I mean, our beliefs are part of the fabric of who we are. The Lord Jesus Christ, he affects every decision that I make, right or wrong. I'm convicted by the wrong decisions that I make. And so that's the picture here of the communion meal, that we believe these things to such a degree that as we consume them, they become part of who we are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the idea here is, is we are to have that constant reminder that God set aside certain attributes of his Godhead in order to come and to commune with man, in order that we would understand the word of God and the desires and the heart of God. God thought enough of us, God thought enough of me, of you, in order to do that. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. 
For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, by whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all for one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And so that belief that I'm a child of God, that Jesus calls me brother, that Jesus calls me friend, I believe that to such a degree as I hold that bread in my hand, I consume it. My belief becomes part of who I am. Verse 25, back in 1 Corinthians, in the same manner, what manner is he doing this? Well, verse 24 says he gave thanks. It's in a thankful manner. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The blood. We speak of the blood a lot in our Christian faith. It's not so much the blood itself, but the blood represents death. The life of a man, the life of a being is in its blood. When blood is leaded, that being will die. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 14, it says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer and the sprinkling of unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offer himself without spot to God and cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? One more thing that's important before we partake. Verse 27, back in 1 Corinthians 11. Therefore, because of these things... Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I'm going to pray. And if you want to partake of communion with the body of Christ here today, but maybe for whatever reason, you have something against a brother that you've been harboring, there's some unrepented sin in your life, that you know that if you would partake of this communion, you would be doing so in an unworthy manner. The worst manner that you could possibly, the most unworthy of manners, would be partaking of this meal as an unbeliever. Again, maybe you call yourself a Christian, but are you born again? Have you repented of your sins and have you turned to Jesus Christ? If not, that's something that you'd be able to do today. It's something that you do between yourself and the Lord. But to partake, to hold this that bread in your hand, that Christ came bodily for me, and to hold this juice, this blood in your hand, and to believe that it was spilled for me, but still not to receive it and to reject it is to eat and drink judgment unto yourself. So I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to give an invitation through the raising of hands. If you believe that you would be partaking of this meal in an unworthy manner, I'm just going to give you the opportunity to repent. That's all that's necessary is to repent. You've yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to repent and to receive. But again, if you're a born-again believer, if you just need a cleansing, we're going to give that opportunity as well. Father, we do come before you, and we just thank you, Lord, that we're able to celebrate this meal together. And as we do, Father, I just pray that we would be blessed knowing again that it's one of these things that at this moment we're in your perfect will. But I do pray, Father, if there is anybody here, anybody here who just knows that if they're their, their conscience is speaking to them that if they partake of this meal, that they are partaking of it in an unworthy manner. Just lift your hand now and just allow me to pray for you. This would just be you repenting before the Lord. 
I see your hands on my right and my left going up and the back on the right, way in the back. And Anybody else here in the middle? Anybody else? This is between you and God. Is there anybody else? Here in the front, more towards the back on the right. Anybody else? Off to the left. Anybody else? If God is speaking to you, just submit yourself to God. You on my left. Anybody else before we pray? You can put your hands down. Father, you see these hands that have gone up before you, and your word tells us if we're faithful to repent, you're faithful to forgive. And so, Father, I just lift them up to you and just pray, Father, that we would look. Lord, we have this once a month so that we just stop everything and we look and we evaluate. We don't want to be that church at Ephesus that has left its first love, but, Father, just so we know that we are connected to the cross at all times. And so, Father, we just thank you for this feeling of family, this time that we're able to partake of this meal together, that you would bless us, and that, Father, you would just enable us to leave this place knowing that we've had this supper with Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team's going to lead us in a couple of worship songs. Make two lines here. You guys are only allowed to have the communion on that side, and you guys on that side, okay? Two lines, that way we just get through it a little bit faster.
Let's pray. Father, we do come before you and we hold these elements in our hands in faith, in faith that it was you who came so long ago and you altered the course of the world, you altered the course of our lives. And because of that, Father, because of the belief that we have in that, we consume this bread, that Lord, that belief becomes part of who we are. And Father, we know just as surely as our Lord came, he was crucified. It was necessary for the forgiveness of sins because Lord, we are all sinners. And Lord, as we are all sinners, a price needed to be paid, but it was a price that we could not pay. The shedding of our blood would have been an unclean thing, an unacceptable sacrifice. But it was the shedding of your blood, Lord, that washed our sins away, that caused us to be as white as snow. And Father, because of our belief in that, we consume this, this, this juice, that Lord, that belief has become part of who we are. And so Father, we just thank you, and Lord, that we're able to do this together. Again, there's nothing greater than a family meal. And so, Father, this meal is based upon Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so, Lord, we just thank you and praise you for all that you've done and continue to do in our lives. 
And it's because of that we partake of this meal in obedience, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. We all stand, please. Worship team will close us with the last song. There'll be a couple up here for prayer. If you want to prayer or if you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'll be in the back as well. We have two tables set up in the fellowship area. One is for uh, Operation Christmas Child. The boxes are due on the 17th. We've gotten some back. We need to get those back. I believe that's next week, next Sunday. Um, get those back. And then also the other table is the Thanksgiving table. Uh, we wanted to put Thanksgiving boxes together and to distribute to the community. Our goal is to get 30 of them. There are people who take advantage of such things, but there are many people who are helped by such things as well. And so, as pretty much everybody here, we're going to have a bountiful blessing on our tables on Thanksgiving Day. Let's see how we're able to be part of somebody else's bountiful table as well. Other than that, tonight we're going to be looking at numeretics. Numeretics is how certain numbers relate to certain things in the Bible. It's not something that is so much doctrinal, but just observed occurrences that are there. Tonight I'm going to have three points. My first point is going to be one, my second point is going to be two, and my third point will be three. So we'll be looking at that tonight. God bless you guys.